you're, you're talking about a kid who's worked all his life to, to, to wait for that moment, who, who stepped aside, who's waited three years for his opportunity, he stepped aside, done the right thing for boxing, stepped aside to allow a unified champion on the promise that he would get the opportunity. He gets the opportunity, he performs like that and beats the champion in his own backyard and gets absolutely robbed. So think about what the message that sends to people watching that. My son's 16 and just getting into boxing, he'll be looking at that thinking, why should I get into boxing? Because the moment you think you work all your life, you're going to get crowned a world champion after a performance like that, and it's snatched away from you. It's, it's disgusting. I don't even know what to say. Jack, you've asked Jack to come down here, as if Jack can come and speak. He's absolutely heartbroken. And welcome back to the number one podcast in the sport where it appears you can win and lose at the same time. And that's definitely not good for a sport. What we've, what we've seen on Saturday night might be one of the worst recent examples of judging now, definitely since Ricky Burns, Ray Beltran, right? And everyone remembers that. And that's one where Ricky got his jaw broken and was still a judge to be the winner. There isn't a planet, there isn't a world, there isn't a universe, there isn't a dimension created before, during or since existence in which Jack Cattrall lost that fight. There just isn't. And the fact that we're now talking about Anything other than the boxing tells you that there's still something wrong in the sport. And it's sad because seven days ago, we were all sat basking in the glow of British boxing getting everything right. Every last detail, every last emotion, everything was spot on. And here we are seven days later and boxing manages to shoot itself in the foot, in the testicles and in the nostril. This is what should scare you if you're a boxing fan. If you analyze the scorecards based on simply rounds given, forget points deducted and stuff because that comes at the end. In terms of rounds given, not one of the three judges thought Jack Cattrall won more rounds than Josh Taylor. I'll repeat that again. Remember the fight you saw. Not one of the judges believed that Jack Cattrall won more rounds in that fight than Josh Taylor. That is insane. So I'm saying, if you just do the round, sort of just rounds given analysis, right? Howard Foster had it six rounds each to, well, not to anyone, to both of them, right? So six rounds each, a draw. It went Cattrall's favor because he had fewer points deducted. Ian John Lewis had it eight rounds to four to Josh Taylor. Victor Lachlan had it seven rounds to five to Josh Taylor. That doesn't reflect the fight anybody saw. That doesn't reflect the fight that the people in the arena saw. That doesn't reflect the fight that the pundits saw. That doesn't reflect the fight that anybody saw. Not one of the judges thought Jack Cattrall won more rounds than Josh Taylor. How do you arrive at that conclusion? How? Seriously, how? In most of them, and I've done it before, and I know people got upset when I said I can see how the first Canelo-Golovkin fight was ruled a draw. And I still can. Because that was a tight fight, right? And it was about what you liked on the night. But there were so many consensus rounds amongst the judges that you could understand how you could have a draw and the slight variation either side. That made perfect sense to me. 
It wasn't a robbery. It was a result that people weren't happy with. That's fine. But there's a world in which you can understand how Canelo won, and there's a world in which you can understand how Golovkin won. In this case, there isn't a case for Josh Taylor winning. He started so slowly that he was behind halfway through the fight. 4-2-5-1-6-0? Right? However you want to slice it, think about this. If, you, if after round six you've got Catrell up 5-1, that means he didn't win a single round in some of these judges' eyes after that. And in the other cases, he only won one. And Ian John Lewis, he probably had it 4-2 after six and gave the rest to Taylor. Gave the whole second half of the fight to Josh Taylor. What fight were they watching? And this happens so often that we thought, we thought this was a matchroom problem. Do you remember that? We genuinely thought this was a matchroom problem and it turns out it's not a matchroom problem. The rot is in the board. Everyone danced around it in the post-fight analysis. Adam Smith, Macklin, um, when they got Spencer Oliver on, when they got Ben Shalom on, everyone danced around it. But what happened there was the referees were told to do something would appear. Because they were disgusting scorecards. There's not one person, maybe Carl Frotch accepted, who can understand how Josh Taylor won that fight. So what do you do about this? Because it happens too often. And it happens when the stakes are at their highest. Now, no one wants to get jobbed on the scorecards at any level. But these guys are fighting for all four belts. They're fighting for legacy. Jack Cattrall, as Jamie Moore said, had sat out his turn for three years and let everything else happen around him. And he did it for the good of boxing. Not to say that he wasn't financially compensated. He was. But he did it for the good of boxing so we could get the undisputed champion in Josh Taylor. And still the board decided to job him. The board decided to job him. Why? Because Josh Taylor is the money man in the division? Now the usual response at this point is to say, you want, you want rid of all of these guys, right? That's really what you're saying. You want rid of all of these guys. Stop these guys being judges. Stop them being refs. Stop them being involved in boxing. Is what you really want to say. And when you guys tune into Porky, that's exactly what he will say. But I will say this without fear of contradiction of being proved wrong. The rot is so deep. You have to start looking at, do we need another governing body? Do we need a governing body that cares about the product it puts out to the public? That cares about growing the sport of professional boxing more than it cares about retaining this kind of veneer of power and influence over it. Because if the people at Sky can't change it, if Ben Shalom can't change it, if Adam Smith can't change it, who can? Eddie Hearn can change it. And there have been times where he hasn't been happy with the outcome because it hurts his brand. And he's the guy that has to face off to the media. It's not Robert Smith, it's Eddie Hearn. So all of a sudden you're looking at this going, hold on. Who's going to fix this? Is anyone incentivized to fix it? Because if you really look at it, the house fighter kept their belt. Josh still has all four belts. 
and if he chooses to vacate, which he can do, they still have a degree of control over where those belts go. Had Catrell taken them, I don't know if they would have had the same degree of control. So where's the incentive to change? There is no incentive to change. Is there an implicit message that goes, we will bring the big fights to the UK, but you need to make sure the money stays where the money needs to stay? I don't think we really know that. But what we do know is, every time Ian John Lewis is on a card, there's some bullshit. He's like the Tom Hagen of, of like the board, isn't he? When they need their guy to get something done, Ian John Lewis's, doesn't matter where. Ian John Lewis will go from Kent to Glasgow like you couldn't find someone local. Nah, they needed Ian. They're, that's their man. He will g- How many scorecards has Ian John Lewis been wrong on? Like just nowhere near the consensus. Far too many. And what do people say about him in the sport? Oh, he's a gentleman. He's this, he's that. Maybe. But he's been screwing up a lot. And I'm sure someone's going to ask the board, what about this, what about that? And they'll just go, look, the judges just call what they see. And they'll say, oh, well, it depends on what you like. Did you like Josh's come forward aggression? Or did you like Jack's back foot boxing? Oh, it's just... The sad thing about all of this is that that's the kind of thing that will break Jack Cattrall. He will know that he was good enough on that day and that the system refused to let him be champion. And because he was so good, they're not going to let him near anybody else. Yeah, He's back in that high-risk, low-reward category. You imagine you're fighting for your family's future. That's what he was doing. He was fighting for his family's future. Only for the judges to take that away without once thinking about what this is going to do to his mental state. They ruined a young man's career. The guy's not even 30 yet. They ruined this man's career. All for keeping the money and the belts and the control with the house fire. Is this what we have to get used to as boxing fans? The fact that it's all going to be scripted now. Home fire just never loses. And remember guys, this is a fight where Josh Taylor was dropped. This is a fight where Josh Taylor was hurt numerous times. This is, a t- this is a fight where Josh Taylor was tactically out of his depth. But literally, there isn't much more Jack Cattrall could do. And here's the thing. You only ever get that kind of surprise factor once, right? Same with George Groves. After he fought Carl Frosch the first time, the fact that he didn't win meant that the second fight was going to be harder. Why? Because they were prepared for what George could do. So even if you rematch with Jack Cattrall now, he's not going to have that surprise factor that he had in this fight. Where they had weeks, months, years maybe to prepare for Josh Taylor. So they were ready. They'll never have that again. And now I don't know if Jack Cattrall's still with Frank. Because if he is, that's going to be an awkward conversation between him and Bob, right? That's going to be a very awkward conversation. And I'm sure if, if that is the case, something will get done down the line. If Jack Carroll's with MTK, I'm sure he'll get looked after down the line somewhere. That's how this game works. Right? The deals get done in places we never get to see. But I think everyone in British boxing has agreed for once. 
what we saw on Saturday was just it was the worst example, the most naked example of robbing a fighter that you could think of. And they told you, the fans, that your opinion doesn't matter. Your enjoyment of the night doesn't matter. What matters is that the house always wins. So as boxing fans, what can we do? Nothing. We just stop watching. But people find that hard to do. But I think eventually boxing is going to die out because the youngsters are going to watch this going... There's no justice in the sport. And it will die out. And, you know, I thought guys like Guy Williamson were in there to make a difference. I thought men like Guy Williamson would make sure this nonsense didn't happen again. Maybe not. I don't know. What I do know for absolute certain is I have very little confidence in the board at the moment. And I think a lot of fans do. And if that doesn't change... We're not going to have a sport in 10 years' time. Trust me. But guys, I don't, I don't necessarily just want to focus on the, on the nonsense we saw on the scorecards. Because actually that fight was really interesting. And there are a number of threads that come out of this fight that are going to be interesting going forward. The first one is, how was Jack Cattrall able to frustrate the great Josh Taylor? With maybe the most basic game plan I've seen someone fight for a world title with. The most basic game plan because this was a southpaw v southpaw fight we can kind of view it through very simple lenses right and we can look and go jack, jack's main aim and the two things that really separated jack from josh in this would his foot speed number one and number two his defensive posture when you look at those two things together jack Cattrall's aim was never to be where josh wanted him to be never and when he found himself in trouble, he tied up and held. Okay? That was the aim. And then you just score when you can, right? You're going to rely on the, the fact that you're faster, you're more agile, you're this, you're that, right? He played to his strengths. And he also showed that this is a guy who, who understands how to nullify better opponents. Which is a rare skill. And it's a skill that most people don't get because they're usually the best guy in the gym. And when you're the best guy in the gym, you never learn how to survive. You never learn how to be crafty. You don't learn how to steal advantages. Jack Cattrall had all of those things against Josh. Foot speed was brilliant. Because, and it seems to have been like, like a ben Davidson, ben Davidson thing, where his guys are now just planting their feet to, set, no, to, to throw shots. And so Cattrall was like, okay, happy days. And he just danced around that. And then as soon as he saw the gaps, he went for them. Was he ever on balance? Maybe. Were his feet dug into the ground? Very rarely. And so he was able to keep Josh off balance, and that frustrated him. Because Josh under Shane McGuigan managed distance a lot better. You know, and Josh under Shane McGuigan was able to attack off that center line. He never just went forward in straight lines. And this was the problem against the Southpaw who's shelled up, so he's basically nullified your backhand and you're not letting your lead hand go enough and you're not attacking that space. Josh Taylor looked like he didn't know what to do. And you could see he was getting frustrated because nothing was working. Cattrall could just easily, because of that defensive shape he had where he was just as narrow as you can be, he was just able to slip outside the jab with minimal effort. And because Josh Taylor seems to be only able, well, he's only able to jab going forward now, right? 
he can't just hold his ground and jab from wherever he is, although he's incredibly tall. So every time he went forward and Cattle just dipped under, it ended up being messy. But it meant Cattle wasn't getting hurt. Cattle had the better hand speed, had the better timing, was just get, he had his eye in before Josh did. And when you pause and you reflect and you look at that, you go, okay. So what's Ben Davidson added to Josh Taylor? Nothing. Nothing. In the second half of that fight, Josh needed to hurt Jack Cattrall. You were only hurting Josh. So start again. You're only hurting Jack Cattrall with the left hook and the left or right hook and the right uppercut. They were the shots that were going to do the damage. They were the shots that would have scrambled his defense enough to get your backhand through. And at no point did your corner tell you to do that. At no point did your corner say, the reason you're losing this fight, Josh, is that you're walking in straight lines and he's prepared for that. One step forward, one to the side, see how the picture changes. Instead, you're hearing, you've got to manage the transition, you've got to do this. And ben Davidson overcomplicated everything. Why? Because he's an analyst. And when you're an analyst, you're boiling the ocean constantly in search of an answer. At the level Josh Taylor is, he needs a visionary, a guy who's just going to tell him how to get what he needs. Forget about managing the fight. Give me that one magic pill that I need to turn this fight around. Ben Davison doesn't have that. You only get that with experience. And we're starting to see the... The shine wear off on Ben Davison. Because all those years of talking a good game, and he did talk a good game, yeah? It's not being backed up by in-ring performances. He was just flavor of the month for a bit. So all of these guys like Chris Congo who were there need to start watching and make sure that they're actually developing. Because if they don't have clear outcomes, they can't hold him accountable. And then you end up in the position Josh Taylor's in, where Josh is like, I can't train with this guy. In his heart of hearts, he had no confidence in Ben. Strip all the nonsense aside, Josh has been in boxing long enough to know that guy in his corner had no clue. Because Josh Taylor, if I'm Josh, I'm sat in that change room going, how the hell have I gone life and death with Jack Cattrall? This was supposed to be easy. You are supposed to be my team. Why wasn't I ready? Where were the tactics? Where was the change? Where was my plan B? I had nothing in there. I had to figure that out for myself. And if I had to do that, what am I paying you for? Whoever manages Josh, that should be the conversation. What the hell am I paying for? Bob Aram should be in there. What the hell are we paying for here? Do we have to send Josh Taylor to BOMAC? That's the question I'd be asking. Because he looked out of his depth. Anyone can be trainer of the year. Anyone can be flavor of the month when your guys are on top. That's not when you assume greatness. You assume greatness when your guys aren't on top. Can you turn it around? Have you got that magic pill? And Ben Davidson didn't have that. And I've given Jamie Moore a hard time. And I've given Nigel Travers a hard time. Because generally, people that go to them end up losing more than they win. But they had the game plan. They had the game plan. I think it helped that Jamie's a southpaw himself. So he, he, had, a, he had that real insight into it. And I love how Jack Cattrall stayed disciplined for long enough to build up a lead in the fight. He couldn't do it for 12 rounds, but he did it for long enough. 
And it was as simple as give him nothing. Give him nothing. Don't engage when he wants to engage. And sometimes the simple things are the best ones. It was a simple game plan. It was bread and butter boxing. But that was all that was needed against Josh Taylor and Ben Davidson because there's no substance behind the hype and the spin. And we're finding this out. And when we get to, I think it's Lee Wood versus Mick Conlon, be a similar situation. Who are they going to give the belt to there? Don't know. But if he, if he takes an L there, he might, he might be done for it, but he might have to sit on the bench for a while. But you can understand why Tyson Fury changed. Because people with boxing brains realize Ben Davison doesn't know how to make you an offensive weapon. He cannot turn you into a killer. If you've got three rounds to go in a fight, Ben Davison will not turn that fight around for you. And when, the, when there are millions at stake, do you want that man in your corner? I'll leave that for others to decide. So, bad day for Ben Davison, good day for Jamie Moore. I just... And we can't pretend that Josh has somehow been found out, because I don't believe he has. You don't become undisputed by being found out. I just think that he hasn't been the same guy since he left Shane McGuigan. Shane understood him as a character and as a person. These things are important. He understood the, the triggers. And he understood Josh's style so well that he knew what tweaks to make under pressure. And these things are really, really important because in that minute, you only have one or two messages. Yeah? You only have one or two key messages you can get across in every round. And what they can't be is they can't be contradictory round, r between rounds. So everything has to kind of hold together. So those last three rounds when Ben Davidson's given these ultra-complicated things, all he needed to say to Josh was, listen, you're better than him. Just go out there and prove it. You're not going to teach him anything between rounds. He's either got it in him or he hasn't. All you have to do is find the key to get it out. And I don't think Ben's there yet. But Shane seemed to be there with Josh. And if you notice, once people left Shane McGuigan, they weren't they better. I don't think anyone improved after leaving Shane. And I don't think that's an accident. And maybe that's a lesson for people. The grass isn't always greener. The options aren't always better. And maybe Josh is getting a bit of bias remorse. Or maybe he's just fed up with boxing. I don't know. Maybe he's not as hungry now that he's been undisputed. I don't know. Because once you're undisputed, fighting Jack Cattrall doesn't float your boat. But do you fight Teofimo Lopez? Do you rematch Progre? There are a lot of interesting fights that could happen. I'd quite like to see them. And I think the only way Josh will get the esteem of the public back is to start having those fights. But now you start to look at the top-ranked roster and go, who does he fight at 147? They haven't got anyone. So now you've got to put Josh in a mandatory position to fight one of the PBC guys. Or to fight Crawford. But you don't control Crawford anymore. So it comes back to the question. If you're Josh Taylor now, what do you do? You've got to rebuild your brand. You've got to rebuild your reputation. But are there any dance partners out there for you?
it's really, really sad how a guy who could have been our Terence Crawford has fallen so far and so fast. Like, after Kelbrook, circa 2014-2015, I don't think a boxer has been worse advised than Josh Taylor. It's like, wow, like, how are you not a multi-millionaire? How are you not endorsed by Nike, endorsed by Everlast, endorsed by Reebok? How are you just a guy that lives in Scotland? With all that talent and all those achievements, you're an Olympian. How are you a guy that just lives in Scotland in boxes? That's it. You're not bigger than that? So I don't know who advises Josh Taylor, but whoever's doing it is doing a terrible job. He might have to sign up with Disturbing Sports and Whole Nine Management because they do a better job than he's, he's got at the moment. It's terrible. Because what's clear now is Bob Arum does not have a pay-per-view star in Josh Taylor. Josh Taylor's a televised guy. He's a Saturday night Sky Sports guy. You know, we're not paying 20 quid to watch Josh Taylor. Not after that. The British public will not forgive yet. So I don't know what you do with him. He might just still be a six-figure guy. He's not going to get to that seven-figure level because he won't generate pay-per-view sales. And that comes back to what we're saying about him and Jack Cattrall. The right thing to do would have been to run it back immediately. But I feel Josh would have put in a better performance because now the pressure's on. So now if you go to 147, you've got to say to the fans, right, I'm going to show you who I am, and you've got to challenge yourself. So you go straight in with Crawford. On that performance, Terence Crawford would break him in half. Crawford would legit break him in half. So where do you go? No idea. Kel Brook was there, but <laughs> that fight was so so terrible. Like I don't think Kel was there going, y'all call him out. Kel was just like, man, I'm off home, man. This has been a waste of my time. And you look at it and go, so what was the point in keeping the money in Josh Taylor, not Jack Cattrall? None. Because there's no, there's no one that Josh can get in with that we want to see at the moment. So all of that, the bullshit scorecards, the inevitable groveling and bullshit that's going to come from Ben Davis and the board and whoever. And by the time the Sky Block get together on Monday for a debrief, they'll all be back on the same message that we all need to move on from that and we know, we know the board will be better, right? They'll cover their tracks and everyone will just move on. But we'll, we'll get to this robbery again. So I ask you as boxing fans, and this is my last question to you. How much more of this are you willing to tolerate before you switch off? Before you disengage with the sport? Because ultimately, you're only doing this to yourselves. You know, and it's worth thinking about that, because at this point I've got to sign off. Because it's been a late night, and I am genuinely still flabbergasted, shocked, bamboozled at how we've allowed this to happen again. Maybe it is time for live round-by-round round scoring where we find out what the judges have scored because then you can't fix it. If it's just the people at home who get to see the, the thingy, the result, then all good. And you can even run it on a slight delay so that it doesn't get back to the boxes in the ring. All of this stuff can happen. 
We have the technology to make happen. Damn, they even did the city little heat map. If they can do a heat map, they can do live scoring. That's what we need to start campaigning for. Let's have some live scoring. So then people have to be held accountable for the decisions they make in real time. And on that note, I am going to sign up and say, guys, have a great Sunday. If you listen to this on Monday, it's your fault, right? Take care, guys, and bye.